Welcome to Coping Skills for Chronic Physical and or Mental Health Issues, where I don't try to replace your treatment team, but instead provide helpful tips and skills from the viewpoint of a certified rehabilitation counselor of over 23 years and who has had to live with significant physical and mental health issues to help you get by and thrive in your daily living and rehabilitation. Today's episode is the undeniable connection between physical and mental health and why that is extremely important to us as individuals and as a society. So in this episode, as the title may suggest, I'm going to show how physical and mental health are intertwined and why that is very important for us to know. To start, I want to discuss a fascinating study published in Psychological Science in 2010. Uh, It showed that Tylenol helped people feel better after social rejection. Okay, so basically what happened in the study is there was this ball-tossing game, and then there was people that were left out, right? And so they, had, they felt bad, which if you've ever been left out of a game, right, you feel kind of rejected and you feel bad. Uh, at least I have been there. And uh, and so there's the control group that didn't get Tylenol, and then people that were given Tylenol actually didn't feel as bad as the control group. Uh, and so that was that was very interesting because people normally think of Tylenol as this, like, pain controller, right? Not necessarily an emotion controller. So since then, there's been a whole bunch of studies uh, showing the psychological effects of Tylenol, which I'll sum up as basically that Tylenol is is an emotional dampening uh, drug. So basically, positive and negative emotions are dampened, which can be good or bad, depending on whether or not you want emotions dampened. Uh, If someone gives you good news, like they say, I love you, and your emotions are a little dampened, that might not be nifty uh on the other hand if you're about to take a test and you have high anxiety uh, that might be good so uh now whether or not you should take Tylenol for social anxiety or something uh probably not there's actually some drugs that target social anxiety and things that uh, do a better job and they aren't as dangerous Tylenol is one of those that uh can get toxic pretty quick and people have a tendency when they're trying to control anxiety to take too much and if you do that with Tylenol, then you're, you may damage your liver or something really quickly. Um, but it, 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 I only bring up the Tylenol thing just because it's very interesting, like I said, because people normally associate Tylenol or acetaminophen with uh, physical pain. And I wanted to show that there's that connection between physical and mental health. Even in the articles I read, they would make statements like Tylenol found to numb emotional and physical pain and, and so forth. But here's the thing. Emotional pain is physical pain. I mean, where's your pain coming from? Is it coming from outside your body? Is it from some weird cloud or something? No, it's it's coming from inside your body. You know, it has to do with your brain. It might have to do with chemical synapses. A lot of times there's other organs in play. So it's it's a physical thing. So if mental health is physical health, for the longest time, for some reason, people kind of looked at, you know, like your body and they'd go, oh, here's your knee, that's knee pain. And they'd go, oh, you have heart pain here. And and for some reason, when they talk about mental health, it's like almost talking like an out-of-body experience or something. Oh, this person has, you know, schizophrenia. And they they talk about, you know, psychosis, which is, you know, but they talk about almost like this, it's it's like I said, there's this fuzzy, you know, cloudy thing. And And of course it's not, it's a physical part of a body, whether it's genetics or whether it's uh, is part of your brain or whether, like I said, chemical or synapses, you know, it's, it's all physical. 
And as such, mental health should be treated like physical health, whether it's uh, being treated medically or whether it's you need to do exercises and so forth. And as I mentioned, everything's connected. So when your physical health is suffering, then your mental health can also suffer along with it when people are uh, dehydrated and when they uh, haven't eaten in a very long time, then they're, they may have a little more depression. It's harder to think. Uh, if you're extremely tired, uh, you'll notice, or <laughs> people often say they're hangry when, they, when they're hungry, right? You also notice when you're really sick or if you're extremely cold or hot, all those things affect your, your mental health. You affect your ability to be calm and things of that nature. Of course, all those things are temporary by nature, where, of course, mental illnesses and so forth are more permanent. But nevertheless, you can see what I'm talking about as far as physical and mental health just being intertwined and affecting one another. So for those with mental health diagnoses and issues, uh, take care of your body. If you exercise and you eat correctly and so forth, uh, will it make a difference? Yes, it will make a difference. I'm not saying stop taking your medication or stop going to counseling or anything like that. No, I'm just advocating to utilize everything in your power to help yourself and or others. So wait, if physical means can help mental health, does that mean mental health exercises can help with physical pain and illnesses? Well, yes, of course that's what it means. It goes both ways because, again, they're all connected. In nearly every major chronic illness-related website encourages people to take care of their mental health and gives them tips such as mindfulness, positivity, and so forth because they know it helps with their physical pain and their physical health. In that progressive muscle relaxation episode I did, uh, you know, I discussed how it is being used to help with pain relief, including some cases after surgery. And it's also starting to be used to help athletes improve in their sports. In another very interesting study, uh, the majority of unspecified documented but very measurable uh, people with chronic pain diagnoses turned out they have a trauma origin which if treated, their condition improved, if not healed completely. So that was kind of a long, confusing sentence. But basically, there are some diagnoses, like I have fibromyalgia, and there's other people with these unspecified chronic pain kind of things. And some of those diagnoses, they do, they do have some trauma uh, beginnings. Now, it turns out mine doesn't. Uh, but there are those that they do. They have this. They have a trauma beginning, and they don't know that. They just and they and if you go in and they go in and they test their pain, they test all those things. It is measurable. They, no one's, uh, you know, malingering or lying about any of this. These are true things that are happening to people, uh, and people are having seizures. People are having you know uh, rashes, or they're having bumps, or they're having uh, you know major medical conditions, and they're oftentimes when people are getting their. Uh, post-traumatic issues treated or sometimes many issues that are related to depression or OCD, anxiety, and so forth, when they're getting those issues treated, they're finding that their physical issues are improving. So this isn't just unspecified diagnoses. This can be things like seizures or problems with organs and so forth. So if you have any physical issues or you'd like to prevent some physical issues, I would definitely recommend learning some coping strategies or mental health techniques such as uh, positivity or mindfulness, progressive muscle relaxation, and so forth. I believe if insurance companies and employers understood this connection better, that they would research and pay for best practices, or insurance or employers, on the other hand, would, would encourage or strongly encourage the use of wellness and programs and implement them.
Because right now, insurance companies don't do a lot with mental health. I know mine, I have to pay like $8,000 worth of medical things before I can even start to cover mental health kind of things. Uh, and that doesn't really help a whole heck of a lot when it comes to any kind of mental health type service. My illness has cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I haven't been real thrilled with that, but I'm sure insurance companies haven't been thrilled with that either. But prevention, early identification, early treatment could have probably saved lots of money. And, you know, I'm not alone. That's the same across the entire uh, world. And so, like I said, if insurance companies studied, for example, like I said, best practices, they aren't just paying for any kind of, you know, counseling, but look at the best ones for the diagnosis, then, boy, that man, imagine the amount of money they could save for themselves and for the people, as well as the pain and suffering. For example, I mentioned all the physical kind of things that could be associated with PTSD. Well, they've looked, found uh, art treatment or accelerated resolution therapy is extremely beneficial for people with PTSD, uh, speeding up the recovery process by a lot. But when I'm talking to people with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, um, most people haven't even heard of this art therapy. So imagine the money that could be saved if people got into this kind of therapy early on uh, as far as their mental health treatment and as far as the physical disabilities that may come along down the road because they aren't getting treated and it comes manifests physically uh, and or even as far as loss of work or of that kind of nature because of manifestations of these problems down the road. But when you also consider that things like uh, anxiety, panic attack, depression, and can cause a lot of these physical problems that are hard to treat, but if you use evidence-based practices with depression and with uh, panic attacks, on the other hand, you actually can have a very high success. With depression, for example, if you use cognitive behavioral therapy and medication, it's close to an 80% success rate, which that's much higher than treating heart disease, for example. Uh, and for panic attacks, for those who went to therapy like weekly for a couple months, for example, there's like a 90 plus percent able to control that. So, I mean, that's much, much higher than a lot of those physical issues that result from not getting those things treated. And then you look at the employers that are struggling to keep employees right now and struggling to fill positions. And, you know, imagine the wellness programs that they can implement to try to help people stay healthy and to stay happy to keep them around. Uh, you, you know, these are some good solutions out there. I think probably most people have heard this story about the town that was having the problem because, you know, there's a dangerous road and cars kept driving off the edge of this cliff. And, and so they came up with, you know, a couple of solutions. And one solution, they spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, getting ambulances and fire trucks and, you know, emergency funds to help people who crashed at the, at the bottom of the cliff, you know. Uh, so that was one solution, right? That was helping people after the problem. And then the other solution only cost like $1,000. And I was putting up a sign and guardrails up at the top. And of course, that was the preventive solution. And right now, uh, society is kind of doing the, the spending lots and lots of money helping people after things have already happened. But if we took the preventive approach, the, the sign and the guardrails, uh, or what I'm kind of been talking about throughout this thing, as far as physical and mental health, you know, doing the preventive approach at the beginning and doing the, the, then it would actually save a lot of money in the long run. Unfortunately, the number of people with mental health and physical issues is only increasing every year. And the very real number of people with disabilities who stop working keeps growing. 
And no, it's, it's not a Social Security Administration problem. It's very difficult to get Social Security benefits. Anybody who says differently hasn't gone through the process and are probably going off this extremely low percentage of fraud cases they've heard about. Uh, there are some very good preventive and treatment measures out there. So we've got to spread this information. If people can start taking care of themselves physically and mentally early, then we're going to end up with a lot more of the big physical and mental health problems down the road, which will help the person a heck of a lot, but will also help us as a society. Anyways, that's enough for me and my soapbox for one day. So let me just sign off by saying, take care of yourself physically and mentally, which is really all just physically, and be well. Thank you for listening to Coping Skills for Chronic, Physical, and or Mental Health Issues, Helpful Hints and Bandages. Until next time, hang in there. More skills are coming, and even if it doesn't seem like it sometimes, life is worth it. You're worth it. This has been Robert Sipple.